darlings because we are fucking back. Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of Miss Congeniality. After a two-week hiatus that felt like a month, we have so much to get into and I'm happy you're here. I hope you're having a lovely, wonderful, beautiful, stunning, gorgeous, immaculate, immaculate Friday. This week's episode is all about reigniting joy, reframing your idea of happiness. It feels so topical right now, but like we're going to have at least 20 minutes of fucking updates because there is so much to talk about. But before we begin, I just wanted to take a brief moment to address something here because I haven't addressed it verbally here and I'm trying to hit all my bases because it really matters to me. As some of you guys know, if you follow my social media content, which I operate under the assumption that you do, I was in Puerto Rico um, last week for a few days over the course of the hurricane that hit. I obviously, if you saw my social media, faced a lot of backlash and criticism for my handling of being there during the natural disaster, and that was 100% valid and warranted criticism that I took very seriously. I took the week off social media, specifically TikTok, to just reflect and, and think about some of the discourse that was opened up to me. I went down to the island a few days before the hurricane hit. I had a trip planned to finish my book. I was there with my mom. When I got there, it was like a tropical storm. I don't think um, I would have gone had we known that there was going to be a full hurricane of that volume and decimal, but we went a few days earlier. We got there and I was just making content throughout the day as I typically did before the hurricane hit and before the storm had hit and it ended up being and becoming really insensitive and just poorly curated content being that being that many if not most of the people there did not have access to the resources I did that were keeping me safe and sheltered from you know th the storm so for example like things like wi-fi or a generator or power Obviously, it's incredibly privileged that I was safe and okay that whole time. And it's also privileged that I didn't, you know, because it wasn't impacting me, because I wasn't going to lose, you know, everything I had or be in intense danger. It was really privileged that I didn't have to be like looking and monitoring the news and looking at what was going on around me. My intention was never to be harmful or insensitive or ignorant, but I was all of those things. And so I want to deeply apologize to anybody who was offended by the content that I made. I wish I hadn't made any content. I wish that I had been paying more attention. I wish that I had been more tuned into what was going on, but hindsight is everything and I wasn't I wasn't tuned into what was going on. I wasn't paying attention. I took down the content the next day because I did the next day after the storm kind of see the aftermath and what happened. I shouldn't have posted it anyway. It shouldn't have taken me that long to take it down or to say anything. But essentially, I, I took it down the next day. And I wanted to say I'm very grateful for the people that came to my DMs with the intention of educating me, sharing a resource, or opening up a dialogue. Those dialogues are meant to be uncomfortable. It's oftentimes very uncomfortable and difficult to confront our privileges, but it's absolutely necessary. And I just want to say I'm sorry again. And I wanted to start the episode off with that. I, I care deeply about people. And if I harm one person, that's enough, especially when I am potentially profiting or benefiting from something or at the expense of people. I've been sharing resources for recovery efforts and other resources from community aid and activist organizations in Puerto Rico on Instagram. I also shared them on TikTok and I hope that you'll look into it and educate yourself a little bit like I've been educating myself. I also wanted to take this time to draw attention to what's going on in Iran right now if you're not aware and also a few things that we can do to help. Basically on the 22nd of September, a woman who was 22 years old named Masha Amini was detained by Iran's morality police. Um, basically, she was wearing her hijab wrong and they have a strict dress code, which basically determines how women can dress. And Masha was taken um, into captivity by the police and ultimately was beaten to death. Ever since that happened, and tragically so, people have gone into the streets to uh, protest against the government and specifically women and many, many brave young women who have, who have been at the front of those protests, burning their hijabs, cutting their hair, and really demanding this oppressive government to sort of like end their reign. 
apparently, from what I can understand also, the government has been really restricting um, internet access so that the Iranians don't have the ability to be posting a ton on Instagram. I believe also WhatsApp was blocked. Um, and this is basically an attempt to hide what's going on from the rest of the world as people are, are being killed right now. I'm going to share a few of the ways that Iranian women and people that I followed on Instagram are suggesting that we can help them. I think it's really important to be listening to those voices and being intentional about where you're getting this content from so you're making sure you're helping them in the way they actually need help. And furthermore, if you are like me and you're really passionate about the overturn of Roe v. Wade in June and the implications of control on women in this country, you need to be being vocal about this too. It doesn't just stop with us. It doesn't just stop with American women. It doesn't just stop with white women. We need to stand together uh, for all women. And so the first thing you can do is follow and amplify voices of Iranian activists. I saved a graphic that shared all of their handles on my resources highlight of Instagram. There's just a bunch of them. And the comment section of that post is also full of other people that you can follow. Just be sharing their posts uh, listening to what they have to say and amplifying their voices. On my same resources highlight in the same post, there's also instructions on how to help people to circumvent censorship. The third is to join and organize protests. The fourth is to support some organizations. Uh, the three that they have listed is United for Iran, the NCRI Women's Community Committee, and the Women's Organization of Iran. Also, sign Amnesty's petition because they can investigate and ensure accountability for the crimes uh, that are going on there right now. And those are some tips for what we can do to help. I think the biggest thing is just talking about it. From what I've seen in my DMs and when I've asked people what we can do, the number one thing they've said is just raise awareness and bring attention to it. That's the most important thing. And I hope that if you didn't know about this, now you do, and you can go out and raise awareness for it as well. There's definitely no graceful way to transition out of those really hard, hard, difficult, dense topics. But I just wanted to say that if you are ever looking for support in any way, please DM me if you ever have resources to share or you want to open up a dialogue or a conversation. My line is open and I'm all ears. And if I don't see it, just send me a few more messages and hopefully I'll end up seeing it then. I really appreciate and love you guys. And we're going to get into the episode now, but I hope that you understand both my apology and also the current need for us to be uplifting those Iranian voices. Okay, so last we talked, so much has happened that I feel like it's now stale news. Like the queen died in the interim between the last time that we spoke. And I've never been too like big on the royal family. Like I'm not one of those people that like watched The Crown and all those shows. And I think I've mentioned that you guys, you guys about that before. And obviously, like, I don't support the monarchy. I loved Princess Diana, and that's kind of as far as I'll go. I didn't really tune into any of it, but, like, I think it's weird that we have a king now. I say we like I'm there. I'm not. But, yeah, I think it's weird that we have a king now. I have been to London and, like, England and the UK only one time. I really liked it, but I want to go back. My best friend actually lives in London, and she was like, I'm steering clear of the palace. She lives in Notting Hill, so she was like, I'm not going near that. But what I did think was so sweet was David Beckham standing in line to pay his respects and like the fact of the matter that he could probably have cut the line but he didn't I really loved and then also how he like brought donuts for like everybody in line around him like that was so sweet and nice I'm like that I don't know that was cute that was one cute thing the other thing that was going on the la since the last time we talked was New York Fashion Week and honestly like there's I don't even want to get into it like so much has happened since then it was fun it was good you know all that the best part was seeing Anna Wintour sit next to Anne Hathaway at the I think Michael Kors show and she purposefully dressed like Andy and it was a Devil Wears Prada like uh, it was an amazing call out. It was it was wonderful. It was epic. I don't know if she knew. I guess you know where you're going to sit if you're famous. If you're like rich, famous and important, maybe you know where you're going to sit. I just love Anne Hathaway. I think she's just I think that she's all that. I really do. You know, I, I she's just wonderful. Like I really justice for her. We need to be like giving her more support because she's an icon. I didn't see Don't Worry Darling yet, but all of that drama also unfolded since we last talked. I listen I was gonna go see it um over the weekend and I just like didn't make it there I was having like really bad period cramps like it's not gonna happen let me know what you guys thought about it you guys know who I am with movies so I need to know like do you think it's worth my time energy and investment or do you think that I'm gonna be bored as fuck and 
do you think I'm going to be distracted by Harry Styles? Like, I love Florence Pugh. She's, like, my favorite. So is that – is she worth seeing in it? I heard she was amazing. And now I'm kind of hearing that, like, the drama might have not been, like, what we thought it was. Like, I just saw something this morning where Olivia Wilde was saying that, like, the drama mirrors what the film is about, which is, like, censorship or, like, not knowing the truth or something. I don't know. I kind of feel like it was still valid. And then, like, Harry and Olivia got paparazzi making out, like, recently. So I guess they're still going strong. I don't really know. I haven't seen it. But once I do, you guys will be the first to know. I am also in, like, a big book reading phase. And I just wanted to give some recs. Um, I read I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. And I am, like, really in awe of her. If she's up for it, I hope she writes more. Because we always knew she was such a good actor. And, like, just so, I don't know, it really gave me a new perspective to, like, her roles that she's played. But also, like, she's such a good writer. Like, not only was the memoir really good and moving and I read it in a day, like, she's also just tremendously talented. I also read Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. I had never read it before. I'm reading it on my Kindle. I love my Kindle. I'm reading all this on my Kindle. I thought it was great. Um, So, so good. I highly recommend. And then after that, I read a book called... Take My Hand by Dolan Perkins Valdez and it was the best book I've read in a very long time. I highly recommend. It's a bit on the longer side. It's definitely not a happy book but it's written gorgeously and it's just it's based on a true story about um, a woman in the 70s right around the time that Roe v. Wade is put into law who works at a clinic to provide um, Depo-Provera birth control shots to like low-income women who tend to specifically be black low-income women in Alabama and Montgomery I believe it's Montgomery and she kind of starts to realize that there's something up with the the birth control she doesn't think that you know the practice is as like moral and good as she initially thought when she was signing on to the job and it becomes this whole thing and it jumps between like present day 2016 and, and 1973 it's brilliant I loved it. I cried. It was so good. And I hope you guys will all read it if you're looking for book recs. I also made a story graph, which is the um, like female run non Amazon version of Goodreads. I was really hesitant to make any sort of like Goodreads type account because I think that reading is so subjective. And I understand that like my most favorite book in the world could be someone's least favorite and vice versa. So I just ask because so many people asked me to make it. And so I did. And so I just ask that if you go on there and you really disagree with one of my um, like recommendations or the way I ranked the book or something, that's totally fine. We're all allowed to have our own opinions and our own belief systems, but don't come into my DMs like fighting me about it because I just don't have the energy or the wherewithal and like reading is so subjective and if you loved a book that I hated or vice versa, I'm really glad that you got enjoyment out of it or maybe you didn't and you learned something that you don't like. So that's the reading update. I guess the biggest thing that happened since we last talked is that I finished the first draft of my book. So it's completed 16 chapters, almost like 140,000 words, which is definitely going to be cut down. It is in a rough stage. Um, I'm really proud of it. I didn't know how it would feel to be here, but like the work isn't done. So I have now edits do so basically how it worked and I'm going to vlog about this on TikTok for more in-depth um, sort of information on it is that when I finished um, writing each chapter I sent it to my editor and she sent back edits so the edits will be small things like grammar or spelling and then larger things like big overhauls or comments on a paragraph and I haven't looked at those yet so I am going to go through each chapter now and do those edits and then she'll compile it into a master and then it'll go off to copy editing and more rounds of edits and more rounds so there'll be a bunch of rounds of edits. I just wanted to also say one other thing that is a little frustrating to me and I've seen my friend Haley Jacobson who's a writer on Instagram that you should definitely follow speak about this before. Um, a couple of times I've posted like a screenshot on my story of like a little thing that I was writing and it had like one minor spelling error or one weird grammatical thing and my dms were flooded with people that didn't follow me correcting me and being brutal and cruel and saying things like you don't deserve a book deal because you spelled a word wrong and I just want to say like there are professional artists who slip and make a brush stroke that they didn't like when they're painting and they have to start over 
There are professional singers who sing their whole life, the most talented Grammy Award winning singers who have voice cracks or have days where their voice doesn't sound super great. Like there are athletes who don't have a great race. Like people are allowed to make a minor grammar mistake and still have a book deal. And I'm not an editor. I want to make that abundantly clear. I am a writer. I am not an editor. And I am dreading this editing portion because I don't love to edit. I'm really glad that I have somebody that's giving me the edits, but it's anxiety inducing for me in a way that writing isn't. Writing to me is like breathing. And when I sit down and I write a chapter for five hours and I don't reread it before I like post a little snippet somewhere and there's a grammar error, please just like don't tell me. Like trust me when I say I have a professional editor that's reading it and reading mean comments when I'm just trying to do my best is like, not it. And I don't believe that as any of you guys listening to this, but you never know because the haters are your biggest fans. And on the same topic of that, I thought this was a good segue to talk about everything that's going on with Michaela on TikTok right now. If you're not familiar, quick over under. Basically, she, uh, I think it was on a live or it was a video. She made a video. She made content after a very stressful day where she made a comment that essentially was like it's 5 19 p.m and I just got finished working you try being an influencer for one day you try it now that comment not great I think we can all recognize that it's not great I think we can all also recognize it was taken out of context and I'm not quite sure what the context is because the original video has been taken down but basically what happened after that is mass cancellation on a level that really started to air towards cyberbullying And I want to start by saying that influencing is not the hardest job in the world. If anything, it's one of the easier ones. You don't have to answer to a boss. You get to open free gifts all day. If I want to go get my nails done at noon on a Tuesday, I can. I am incredibly privileged and this position is incredibly privileged. And it is not a harder job than working in a service job, than answering to a boss, than having literally any other job ever. That being said, two things are allowed to be true at once. And, you know, Michaela, like she got famous when she was working at an Ulta and she just blew up on TikTok to get millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of followers and as you know as it happens when someone gets canceled for something people start digging around to find other things about them and they found some comments on um, another content creator's page that she was like basically being a troll And they also found some pictures that were photoshopped and they started making fun of her body and the way she talks and all these other things. But I just wanted to say like the people that are trolling and and bullying her now and don't get me wrong, if you're just like calling out an influencer for being out of touch or for saying something that's not great, that's so fine. Like she can be called out for saying that. That's fine. But what I'm suggesting isn't okay is like now destroying and bullying her. Um, You know, I think like somebody could be making a video trolling Michaela right now and tomorrow they could blow up on TikTok and become massively famous and successful and yesterday they were a troll so I'm not excusing the troll behavior by her like that she exhibited on any means but I also think that it that we're forgetting that people are allowed to change and grow I think lately TikTok has been very black and white and people aren't allowing for any gray space or any nuance either you hate Michaela or you like her you're not allowed to have any other opinion either she's a bad person or you're a fan you're not allowed to like be in the middle and people aren't allowed to change their minds or their viewpoints people aren't allowed to say like I don't like peanut butter and then the next day be like I tried peanut butter again and now I like it all of a sudden you're a fraud you're disingenuous you're you know all of these things and I want to make it clear that my belief that influencing is not a difficult job and that Michaela's comment was, you know, in poor taste is completely separate from my belief that she doesn't deserve to get bullied right now, especially because she deals with depression and has posted about it so freely and openly. And as a community on TikTok, we are no stranger to creators taking their own lives because it becomes too much. And I just wonder how the people trolling her and making hate accounts and saying horrible things would feel if she took her own life. God forbid. Like, how would they feel? Would they start deleting everything? It's just not worth it. If you don't like someone, call your mom, call a friend, shit talk all you want, be a silent hater. But please just be careful. It's not worth it. And it's like scary. It really is. My therapist said something to me that I wanted to share. She told me that there was a scientific study done through like MIT, I think, And they found that the human brain is only able to really conceive 150 like connections and relationships. So there are like tiers and then they're like, like tier one, tier two, tier three, like your closest circle can only 
five people but like overall the brain is only wired and meant to take in and understand 150 connections so for somebody like her who has millions and millions and millions and millions of followers like it's doing something to you psychologically it's not just like oh the hate comments are bad for my mental health it's psychologically unnatural to have millions of connections that you're making in a day or for content that you're creating that's coming out of your brain to be met with millions of connections a day it's psychologically not normal the brain isn't wired to do that and i think we should just remember that and be a little bit more gentle now if somebody is andrew tate we don't need to be gentle right that's andrew fucking tate we don't need to be gentle on him but for someone like her, like, there's a lot of nuance here. She shouldn't have said that. I agree. If you guys tried being an influencer for a day, you would probably like it. Like, you don't have to answer to a boss. You can do whatever you want. You can take a mental health day. You can take a day off. You get free things. Obviously, every job has its own unique sense of challenges and nuances, but it is not the hardest job in the world, and I will stand by that. But at the same time, bullying is never okay, and if you truly hate someone, just take it offline because we do not need more people that lose their lives to cyberbullying. It's just, it's really, really, really scary. And it's been really upsetting for me to watch the way that people have attacked her so ruthlessly, knowing that just a few videos back, she was sobbing, saying she's never been more depressed in her life. Like, can you imagine what it would feel like to be met with this influx? And it's not constructive criticism anymore to be calling her fat and ugly and a loser and undeserving and all those things. That's just my two cents. Like, treat people with kindness. I've been really liking that Harry Styles song lately. Treat everyone with kindness. Um, I had a creative writing professor who said to me, you have to aspire to be kind to everyone you come in contact with. Otherwise, you're shit out of luck. And I like how he says aspire because sometimes you're not going to be able to be kind to someone because they're not going to be kind to you. But ultimately, we have to go forth with that intention. And I think that you just feel a little bit lighter when you do. Okay, now on a lighter note before we get into the episode, it's actually not lighter, but like, what is it with the cheaters coming out of the woodworks? First, we get Adam Levine. And fuck Adam Levine. That's also a nuanced situation. And that goes back to my gray space thing. Like, I see people either, like, hating on the girl, loving the girl. Like, there's gray space and everything. There's nuance and everything. Let there be nuance. Anyway. But then, it's the Try Guys guy. And I don't even know who the Try Guys are, I'm being honest. But, of course, this blew up on Twitter, whatever. I'm reading about all of it. I see it, whatever. I get context. Then I saw content that he cheated on his wife at Niagara. And if you guys don't know what that is, it's like a fucking intern bar in New York City that I'm obsessed with that plays Mamma Mia. It's not the place to cheat on your wife. Like, pick somewhere more chic. And then last night, I see Shaquille O'Neal doing an interview where he's like, I was a serial cheater. And I'm like... All of a sudden, I realized, like, do you think that people who have cheated serially in the past who are famous are going to start coming out of the woodworks to protect themselves from people coming out on TikTok and on the internet accusing them of cheating or, like, proving that they cheated? I don't know. But it's – I don't like it. It's not cute. It's not the tea. I've been saying this, but the drama lately has been giving 2005, and it's unending, and it's constant, and it keeps me awake at night. It really does. The drama has been just crazy. But that was 22 minutes of updates and now we have an episode and I'm really excited because I planned it all out and I think it's really good and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. So let's get into it. So I think that like we have this concept that people are not allowed to change their minds or change their idea of the things that they like or what makes them happy or what's fun. Um, and I think about it like, okay, so seasons, they inherently change. Like we have no choice but for it to go from winter into spring into summer into fall. That happens naturally. And I believe with human beings, it's the same way. We naturally are constantly changing our minds and changing our idea of fun and our idea of joy and happiness. Like as we get exposed to new things, like as we get exposed to new media, new people, new job, new place, your idea of fun and what makes you happy and what brings you joy is going to change. Your idea of what you like to do or what you want to do with your life is going to change. And that's natural. And I think in the age of social media, we don't allow people to change their minds. And it makes people think that their idea of fun has to always stay what it is. Or like their idea of what they like to do or what they want to do with their life always has to stay what it is. And I think we're seeing that a lot right now on like lawyer talk. There are like some lawyers that have left their law careers to like be writers, be content creators, whatever. And they're getting so much shit. But it's like, her idea of her life and what was going to make her feel fulfilled and creative and passionate might have been being a lawyer for 10 years and it isn't anymore and she's allowed to change her mind and I find it to be specifically with women that we don't want women to change their minds that they have to be one thing that they have to choose what they like and stick to it and I'm throwing that bullshit out the window okay 
And not only that, I don't know why we don't want people to change their minds. It's almost like we want people to fail and we want people to, you know, not aspire to greatness. So when they change their mind, we're almost like upset because we wanted them to stay stuck, which is just sad. Like we should be cheering each other on. Like, okay, imagine if you knew somebody who was like anti-vax or believed something like super controversial. Wouldn't you want them to change their mind? Wouldn't you want them to be exposed to media and to be educated and then to change their minds that they're no longer anti-vax or believing in something super harmful? Like you should want people to grow and 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 to change and to be able to form different opinions. Like even like celebrities, you know, if I if there was a celebrity who some people loved and some people disliked, like I should be allowed to decide that I like them and I have that opinion and, and you know, I'm holding that opinion and then maybe they do something and I'm like, oh, I don't like them anymore. Like we're allowed to change our minds. If we don't, the world just like flatlines. I also think this is where our parasocial relationships come into play and I felt this on both ends of the spectrum. So like if you, your favorite creator, let's just say like arbitrarily your favorite creator's name is Zoe and you love Zoe, like you listen to everything she says. And let's just say that your favorite food is Italian food. Like you love Italian food as much as you like Zoe. One day Zoe comes out and says that she hates Italian food. You start to feel like subconsciously betrayed to find out that this person doesn't align on everything with you because you thought that they might. You were choosing to believe that they aligned with everything. So when they when they have a differentiation of opinion, you're, you know, all of a sudden really upset and you feel betrayed. But then maybe a few weeks later, if Zoe was like, I had Italian food at this place, decided I now really like it. I'm going to get back into Italian food. People would be like, she's a fucking hypocrite. She's a mess. She can't make up her mind. All of these things. I just think that we need to stop looking at changing our minds as a negative thing and look at it as something really natural like how the seasons change because for me like I'm always evolving and if I wasn't always evolving and wasn't always learning I would feel stuck personally and I try my best not to express my opinions and beliefs until I'm sure that I have them because I'm afraid that if I change my mind I'm going to be seen as like a fraud or disingenuous or like my brain is incongruous or I'm a liar all these things but like Sometimes I really love something and then I decide I don't like it anymore. Like our palates change, our taste buds change. I'm pretty sure they change every seven years. So it doesn't even make sense for you to have the same favorite food every single day for the rest of your life. So I wanted to start this by saying we need to normalize changing our mind. And that really coincides with changing and reframing our idea of joy and happiness and fun. Like my idea of fun has changed a lot and it's allowed to. Honestly, it's supposed to. I don't like the same things that I did when I was 20 years old or 21 or even 22. Like some things are never going to change. I'm always going to like Broadway shows. But when I was 20, I didn't like Phantom of the Opera. And now I do because I saw it again and I saw it as a 24-year-old and I was a little bit more mature and I realized its value and now I like it. Like as I have new life experiences, our preferences shift and that coincides with our idea of fun shifting. You know, we've all seen and been through more even since the pandemic and obviously the pandemic changed our ideas of fun and our ideas of joy and our ideas of what brings us happiness and like in order to reclaim our joy and feel like we're allowed to have joy and feel like we're in control of our joy and that we have agency over being joyful in our own lives we also have to be okay with that standard shifting and and us feeling like things change and that's okay a lot of people are super averse to change, especially if like anxious people, because I am, I know I am. And I mean, like it goes without saying that change isn't natural. Like what feels natural to us is doing the same thing as getting into a routine is comfort. Change, like going through a breakup or moving to a school or transferring or moving to a new place or starting a new job, that's going to feel naturally uncomfortable. But the only way to make it feel uncomfortable is to just go for it head on and to embrace change. I think acknowledging that change is not supposed to feel comfortable is the first step. Like for me, as my idea of fun has shifted and as my opinions have changed and as I've re like found ways to reclaim my joy, I've decided that I'm okay with it not being comfortable because it's not going to be right now. But it will be one day when I'm settled into that. And then it's going to be uncomfortable again when I change that idea of fun again or when I go and move somewhere else or do something new again. You know, nerves mean that you care. Those butterflies mean that you have skin in the game and that's a good thing. You know, we have to feel everything. It's a gift that we get to feel. And I think we have to just be okay and claim the fact that change is uncomfortable.
So like to provide you an example, when I was 18 years old and like a freshman in college, my idea of fun was literally I would get a bottle of Gatorade, but like the classic bottles with like the globe on top and I would drink the globe of Gatorade and then I would pour blue raspberry Svedka in through the rest of the globe and shake it and I would call it my blackout juice. I would drink one of those like every time I went out in a forever 21 top to go to a fraternity basement and I would stay there till three o'clock in the morning just that my ex would want to take me back or like just so we could go home together and I would sleep there and I would like heartily try in my classes and I didn't get hungover. I liked the taste of vodka like that was fun for me like getting together with my friends and going out and doing that like that was fun and you know what that should have been fun when I was 18. That was like I was being age appropriate like kind of. In, a, in an illegal way, but I was being age appropriate. You know, I was like doing something that I was supposed to do when I was 18 and that felt fun. Also, if you're 18 years old and your idea of fun is staying in on a Saturday night and reading a book, that's also fine because nobody can tell you, like nobody can say like your idea of fun is wrong. Nobody can say the way that you find joy or what sparks joy for you is wrong because it's individual. So I want to make it abundantly clear that though my idea of fun when I was 18 years old was blacking out in a fraternity basement and being feral and disgusting and like kissing my ex-boyfriend's fraternity brothers all night and like trying to piece together the puzzle next day, if that's not your idea of fun, that's super valid. And my idea of fun shifted throughout college. Also, you don't necessarily need to be surrounding yourself with people who have the same idea of fun as you or spark joy in the same way. For the most part, my closest friends, my most intimate group, those five people that are like tier A or whatever it is in that psychology study about our connections, those people have a similar idea of fun as I do. But it wouldn't be like worth befriending people if we were identical. Like my best friend Kelly, she loves to go watch sporting events. That's not necessarily my idea of fun, but we both do share in the fact that we're like pretty introverted and like to stay in and like like to see theater. You know, so we have different preferences but maybe our general idea of fun and the way that we spark joy is pretty similar but what makes us different also makes us beautiful you don't need to be surrounding yourself by people that have the same idea of fun and the same ways that they spark joy I think it's helpful to have a few people like that in your life who just you know have similar interests and that's why you gravitate toward one another but the way that we even change our minds and change our idea of fun and alter our opinions is trying something new. So I wouldn't box people out just because you're like, oh, well, they go out all the time and I don't. I'm really glad that I made friends in college that were like all ends of the social spectrum, etc. because as my idea of fun changed, they fit into my life in different ways. You know, when I was 18 years old and I couldn't go out to bars, my idea of fun was going to fraternities. And then my sophomore year, my idea of fun was like house parties because I made a lot of friends in the theater school and I wanted to go and do theater with them and make theater with them and then go to house parties and kind of like chill with them. And it became a very low key, different idea of fun. And the way I sparked joy was like staying up all night writing plays, even though I had never done that before, but I had taken my first playwriting class. I felt gravitated toward it. All of a sudden, my idea of joy was staying up all night and and writing plays. Like that became my idea of joy when I was a sophomore in college. When I was a junior in college, I trained for my first marathon and my idea of fun was running 20 miles in the morning. It was my first marathon. It was the first thing I ever did of that level. It was a little bit of a crazy undertaking to do in college, but I didn't drink for the whole semester because I wanted to be the best I could possibly be for my first marathon. And like looking back on it, my idea of fun was like taking care of my body and my physical fitness. It was like getting a sports massage and, you know, cuddling with my boyfriend at the time and watching Love Island on the couch with Allie. Like my idea of fun shifted over the years as the things in my life that sparked joy shifted. I had never run a marathon before. So how was I supposed to know that my idea of fun was, you know, previously going out to a frat basement? Well, now I'm loving this running. It's bringing me so much joy. It's easing the tension and the anxiety that I feel on a day-to-day basis. I love this. This is now my idea of fun. And in a way, all of these ideas of fun are allowed to still coexist with one another. I still find it fun to go out to a house party and to write a play, and I still find it fun to go on a run. Maybe not in the same way because I'm not that same girl. We change a tiny, tiny bit every day. Like, think about a baby. Like, you blink your eyes and the baby just starts, like, growing. It's crazy. Like, every day, a little bit, they shift more. They're growing. It's the same way with us. We, we have a little alteration every single day and we have to allow that to happen even when it feels uncomfortable. And then finally, like when I was a senior in college, I kind of forced my own idea of fun to be going out and like having casual flings and situationships. And I did that because I thought I was supposed to. Here's something to note. 
there's no supposed to there's no way that you're supposed to spark joy when you're 21 there's no way that you're supposed to find happiness when you're 25 you know like for some people what sparks joy when they're 21 is going out and being feral and having casual sex for other people it's getting engaged to their high school sweetheart for other people it's staying in and baking and starting a business like it's so different and that's also something to note like there's no supposed to there's no timeline there's no one way to spark joy or feel comfortable with yourself or feel happy or you know your idea of fun doesn't have to look one way just because you're 21 years old and I really thought my senior year of college that I was supposed to be single and having casual sex and that if I was single I was supposed to be having casual sex and that should have been my idea of fun And when I look back on it, I have a lot of good memories from all those crazy nights, but a lot of it was forced. And I wish that I had been brave enough back then not to force that idea of fun onto myself and not to force, you know, that that kind of fabricated joy because it didn't really feel genuine. I also wanted to say that joy is allowed to coexist with sadness, with depression, with any sort of struggles. So it's not just like, oh, I'm sparking joy or I'm not. It can be both. Like everything has shades of gray. I think that's the title of this episode. But for me, like I had good memories from that time. And even though my idea of fun felt forced a little bit, I was still feeling joyful at certain moments. It just wasn't the most joyful I ever felt. And then when I first moved to New York City, my idea of fun was like going out and going to bars and clubs. And I literally like never said no to a social media event. I wanted to get dressed up. I wanted to do glam. I wanted to take pictures, all that stuff. And that's totally okay and valid. That's what was new to me at that time. It was exciting because it was like revelatory. I had never been invited to something like that. I had never experienced those things. And I kind of eventually sat back and asked myself, you know, is this your idea of fun? Are you having fun? Or do you feel like you're supposed to be doing this? And I think that was a really good question to ask myself. And I think I implore you guys all to ask yourself the same question. Like when you're doing something like I was going to all these events I took a step back and I like took a deep breath and I was like, okay, is this sparking joy for me or is the stress that I'm getting from it overcompensating and being becoming bigger than the joy? Is this my idea of fun? What is my idea of fun? Sit down with a journal and ask yourself those questions and just write it out. I think the things that are new and present to us are often met with a ton of adrenaline. And so you kind of mistake the adrenaline for joy and like this is my idea of fun. And then when the adrenaline fades, you get really sad and it's like a sudden drop and you're like, wow, this is not fun for me. Like this is not what I liked. Or maybe you're like, oh, this is fun for me. Maybe that adrenaline fades and you're like, I still like this. This is still really special to me. I think asking yourself those questions when you are in a new setting and you are sort of like reevaluating your ideas of fun or changing the ways that you want to spark joy within your life is really important. And I also think like I have many, many things in my life that have always been fun for me and have always been a way to spark joy that are really tied into my identity and are really deep parts of who I am and will probably never change. One of those things is exercising, but the way that I exercise and the manner with which I move my body has changed and the joy that I spark from it has changed. Um, You know, seeing theater is always going to be in my idea of fun, but maybe my preferences around that will change, you know, and that's always going to spark joy for me. I'm always going to claim joy through theater. And I think having a few of those things that are always going to claim joy for you and always be your idea of fun is helpful because then when you're feeling a little bit lost or sad you know that you can go to those things to feel reignited and sort of like rebirthed for me whenever I'm having a really shitty time I will like watch theater clips on my laptop or I'll go and see theater if I have that opportunity and that potential at that moment and that always just reminds me of like the stagnance in my life the things that are always going to spark joy and when I'm looking to reclaim my own joy I always go back to that like childlike joy what did I like when I was a kid I've always liked moving my body I've always liked Broadway I've always liked you know being around my family there are certain things that are always going to spark joy for me and there are certain things that aren't ever going to spark joy for me and it's good for me to know those things because then when I'm struggling my first step can say okay I'm struggling. I don't know what my idea of fun is right now. I don't know why I don't feel happy. I want to reclaim my joy. I'm going to go back to one of those things that I know always sparks joy for me. And now I'm thinking about it and my idea of fun right now is completely and totally different than it's ever been before. First of all, I've always been a boozy gal. I've always loved going out and drinking. I don't think ever in an unhealthy way, but I always loved like 
being the life of the party in that way. And that's completely changed. I don't really like to go above like three drinks now, maybe four. I don't really like to drink on weeknights just to have a glass of wine. It used to be something I always did, like open a bottle of wine, have a glass. I don't really like to do that anymore. I like to stay in a lot more than I used to. Um, I don't feel a pressure to go out. And a lot of people will ask me like, if you weren't in a relationship, would you feel the same way? And I think I would. Um, I don't think I would like going out any more or less based on my relationship status. Currently, my idea of fun is like staying in with my boyfriend, getting Chipotle, watching documentaries. It's reading next to my best friend on my living room couch at home and like taking a walk on the beach. It's having dinner with my friends or some cocktails with my family, um, traveling and visiting new places, not waking up hungover, maybe taking a little edible and going somewhere or doing something or listening to music. Like my idea of fun is vastly different than it's ever been before. And I know that it's probably going to change because I'm always evolving and so is my idea of fun. But right now, this is what brings me joy and I've chosen to accept it. And I think for a while, I really struggled because I know that my idea of fun might look a little bit different than other people's and maybe like the mass idea of joy and fun in your 20s is like going out dating drinking clubbing all that stuff and for a really long time people would be like well why do you never go out why do you never want to go out with us you never come out come out just once come on and eventually I realized like what if I like put the shoe on the other foot and started asking them those same questions like why do you never stay in you never stay in with me come on stay in with me you don't need to go out tonight stay in with me come on you're so lame the person would be like because I like going out and it's fun for me and it brings me joy and that's exactly how I feel right now about staying in and so I would just remind yourself of that too like you're allowed to make that choice even if it doesn't look exactly like you know your friends or your peers and I'm so glad that I didn't force myself to maintain my 18-year-old idea of fun or maintain the ways I was deriving joy in my life when I was 18. And like I'm so glad I allowed myself to change my mind because I would be miserable if I just let that live in permanent ink. And I also wouldn't have accomplished so many things. You know, like if I had maintained my 18-year-old idea of joy – I don't know if I would be in the relationship I am in now, if I would have the job that I do now, if I had like not gone with my gut about what brought me joy and how my idea of fun had shifted and I had forced myself to like remain where I was because, oh, you're an adult now. This is your idea of fun. This is where you derive joy. If I didn't let myself change my mind, I'd be miserable. I just like, I think it's important to remember that nothing is written into permanence. Like we can erase anything. We can take white out over literally anything and rewrite our own script and change our minds and choose something new. Like I, when I was a kid, I wanted to change my name all the time. I hated the name Eli. I wanted to be Elizabeth or Isabella. I'm so glad I didn't do that. Like obviously my parents couldn't have um, let me do that until I was 18. Uh, so I didn't like get to change my name before I was 18. And by the time I was 18, I didn't want to change it anymore. Like when I was a kid though, I was adamant on that. And I respect her, the little girl who wanted to change her name because that's what she wanted in that time. And I'm glad I didn't because I like my name now. But ultimately like you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to change the things that bring you joy. These days my name brings me a lot of joy. I don't think that's something that's ever changing. But there was a time when that wasn't true. And I think when we're thinking about reclaiming our joy and our idea of fun we have to try to be as insular as possible because your idea of fun and what sparks joy for you is something that you decide based on your gut instinct and your reaction to external forces around you right it's not just like oh everyone's partying my idea of fun and should be partying and my idea of joy should be having casual sex if that doesn't feel right like I said journal it out ask yourself those questions that's okay because this is a very personal thing and if you have friends who have a different idea of fun or a different way and manner that they spark joy for themselves and they're not on board with you honoring your life by choosing your own idea of fun and the way that it makes you feel good to experience joy, then they're not really your friends. Like if you have friends who are like, I get that your idea of fun is staying in and your idea of fun is um, like your way of driving joy is staying in, but um, that's lame and stupid. Like you would never say that to a friend. You want them to be joyful, to feel good about things. You want them to feel happy and you want them to choose an idea of fun that really makes sense for them and feels right and they should want the same thing for you. Also, like I said before, your friends don't need to be there for everything. You can have friends that you go out with or friends that you stay in with. You can have friends that you know that you wouldn't, you know, have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with for six hours. Like you're allowed to have different pockets of friends. Remember, everything has nuance. I also want to caution you guys specifically about changing your idea of fun to resonate with a boy or to appeal to a guy. I've definitely done that. 
I've changed my idea of fun. I've altered what sparks joy or forced myself to because I thought I would appeal more to the male gaze. I would appeal more to a guy. It's embarrassing to admit, but ultimately it's a societal thing. Um, This patriarchal system is something that we all face, a pressure that we all, all get. And I would really caution you not to change your idea of fun just to appeal to a guy because at the end of the day, eventually, if you're lying about your idea of fun or what sparks joy just to get someone to like you, eventually they're going to see the real you and they're going to be duped, you're going to be duped, and it's not a match. Like, it doesn't really matter what's making you happy and what you're choosing as your idea of fun because it's that is going to attract, like, that genuine outlook is going to attract people that are either really attracted to what makes you happy what sparks joy for you and your idea of fun or people that have similar ideas of fun and you would want to be with that kind of a person and a lot of times in relationships you know our idea of fun changes our idea of joy changes on a personal level and we see if we can still fit into one another's lives as it does and with the right person you're gonna fit into their life still even as your idea of fun might change or things that spark joy for you might change like I said before, this is a very independent thing. It's about your gut instincts and it's also about your reaction to external forces. Like if you go to a rave for the first time and you hate it and then you try to go again and you still hate it, well, that's not your idea of fun. You tried it, that's your reaction. You learned something new that you don't like that. I think it's really hard for us to go with our gut because we don't want to trust our gut and our gut doesn't communicate with our head or our heart in the way that our head and our heart sort of communicate. But this is like actually scientific and scientists call the stomach the second brain, like literally. Um, And I found this on harvardbusinessreview.org so you know it's fucking real, like I'm pulling a source. So this is a direct quote. There's a vast neural network of 100 million neurons lining your entire digestive tract. That's more neurons that are found in the spinal cord, which points to the gut's incredible processing abilities. The gut is your second brain. And I know it's weird because like, you're like, well, I don't want to listen to my gut. I don't get my gut. My gut doesn't like speak to me like my brain does. But for me, learning that that fact is like true, like that your gut is your second brain made me start trusting my gut instincts and made me feel so much better with trusting my gut instincts. And when I started to, I just started to feel much better. Okay. I'm sure we're at a point now where a lot of you are thinking like, okay, I get it. I'm ready to reclaim my joy, to find what makes me happy to change my idea of fun or choose what my idea of fun is but like how do I do it and I have some recommendations I think that you know with joy and and rediscovering our joy we see joy and happiness as very complicated and oftentimes and I've been a victim of this we see happiness as a special occasion something that comes around once a week once a month and I do think happiness and joy are things that we have to work toward I don't think that we're like our homeostasis our like resting emotion is happiness I think that that's just a neutral emotion it's not our baseline but also happiness doesn't need to be a a special occasion so while happiness and joy are both you know emotions and states of being that we work toward that's what makes them special they also don't have to be a special occasion they don't have to be a once a year annual thing they're allowed to exist with you freely and that was a really wonderful realization that I had For me, the first step in like rediscovering and reclaiming my joy was kind of letting go of perception and also in choosing my idea of fun. You know, I was so concerned with how people might perceive me. I didn't even know if people actually perceived me in this way. I was just concerned with the potential that they could perceive me and I let that like dictate everything and I let it stifle my joy and happiness. So the first thing was just like remembering that if you're doing your best, working hard and being kind to yourself and others, you're doing all you can do. And anybody that doesn't like you, it's a projection, not a reflection. And don't pay them any mind. They're not worth your time, right? Like lions don't concern themselves with the opinions of sheep. And if somebody is like not your biggest fan, that's fine. They don't have to be. Let them go. Let go of it. Let it be out into the universe that that's okay because not everyone's going to like us. And that was sort of my first step. The next thing was being open to allowing myself to experience joy. I used to be really hard on myself and really guilty when I was happy. But I think you have to remember that guilt is reserved for when we do something wrong with consequences that harm someone else or something else. Guilt is not reserved for experiencing a human emotion that we all deserve to feel, especially in a world that's as hard and cold as our own right now. I think obviously I'm, I always say this but therapy is everything and it, it's really really important and I hope you guys have that ability to attain therapy um, and for me a lot of what I unpacked in therapy was like 
feeling joyful and happy without guilt, experiencing fun and enjoying myself without feeling guilty. Um, There's no reason to feel guilty when you're having a good time because you're not hurting anybody. Um, You're not hurting yourself. You're giving yourself serotonin. You're giving yourself that goodness. Guilt is not reserved for joy. And I think part of letting myself experience joy was about also learning to let other people experience joy and their own forms of fun and their own unique forms of happiness. Um, I think a really good example is like a lot of times I'll look at somebody that I don't know and decide that I don't like them or I want to just be a hater or they annoy me. And when I do that, I have this habit that I do where I always pull back and I ask myself, are they working hard, being kind to themselves and others and doing their best? And if so, then am I just jealous of that person? And if I am just jealous of that person, what does that person have that I want? And how can I start aligning myself to get those same things? I think that's really important because I wouldn't want those people to experience joy because I would be aggravated. I'd be like, you annoy me. Why do you get all these things? Like eventually I just realized that was jealousy. That was a deep-seated jealousy issue that I had when I was jealous of someone. And I needed to pull back because If I wasn't letting other people experience joy, why would the other people want me to experience joy? You know, if I'm not, if I'm concerned with other people's joy, how am I ever going to be concerned with my own, my own happiness, my own ideas of fun? How am I going to claim that for me if I can't even let other people experience and have that? So I'm constantly trying to remind myself and prioritize letting other people experience joy and cheering on their joy. It especially used to be hard with comparison, like, I would start comparing myself like, well, why did that person get to go to that event? And it wasn't even that I was like, um, didn't like them or didn't think they deserve it. I was just jealous. You know, I was like, why don't I have that brand deal? Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? Eventually, it's just like, let that person experience that joy. And then that joy is also going to come to you in a way that makes sense for you. And if you're so concerned with why you're not having that joy or you don't get that opportunity, well, then you're never going to get your own. And I think oftentimes we see this a lot society really wants to squash specifically like feminine or female joy a lot of things that like bring women happiness are seen as like nefarious and stupid and silly I guess a good example is astrology like astrology brings me a lot of joy and comfort it's something that a lot of women like it's it's definitely in the camp of like a quote feminine or feminized thing and why don't people want to believe in it but they are all fine watching two grown men beat the shit out of each other for television and wrestling like because it's something that's really equated to what women feel and what we like a lot of times things that stereotypically are linked to female and feminine joy are seen as you know superfluous or stupid rom-coms chick flicks they're not real movies they don't have any value things like that makeup you know like those things bring me joy and I really think we need to pull back and stop First of all, stop gatekeeping like what women are allowed to experience in terms of joy and and how they need to claim their own happiness. Like there's no fucking such thing of the way women need to experience joy. Like you can experience joy and rediscover and reclaim your joy and choose your idea of fun in any way that you fucking want to, first of all. And secondly, like we need to stop, you know, controlling the narrative around female and feminine joy because it is so intense. Like everything that, you know, is linked to stereotypical female joy I find gets criticized it drives me crazy literally crazy when I see people on the internet also like logging on to make social media videos or tweets or forums to make comments about how much you hate someone how disgusting their hair and outfit is how ugly you think they are like maybe that you don't like the way the person does their hair but maybe it brings them joy. And did you ever think that that person could have been having a really bad day and seeing that will make them not want to go anywhere? Like imagine if you showed me something and you were like, this is the thing that makes me the happiest. It was a sweater. And let's just say I found that sweater ugly as fuck. I would never look at you in the eyes and be like, that's an ugly sweater. I would look at you and be like, I'm really glad that sweater makes you happy because if you're feeling joyful, then I'm happy for you. Like why are we putting all of our emotions toward preventing people from experiencing joy at their fullest level and I hope that you understand that if you if something makes you happy and if something is making you joyful it doesn't really matter what other people think about it Um, if a hairstyle is making you really happy and someone says it's ugly they're just jealous because they don't have a hairstyle that makes them feel joyful or maybe they don't have something that makes them feel joyful or maybe sadly enough the only thing that makes them feel 
and shred of joy is tearing someone else down and that's not going to work out for them in the long term. Maybe that's short-term relief, but it's not long-term. Okay, so now on to some fun stuff. I'm going to give you guys some ideas of things that are fun to do on the weekends, ways that you can reignite joy with yourself, um, and how to get your spark back because I think that that's a good way to end. So things to do that are fun on the weekends. Number one, meetup.com is great. There are thousands of groups. I just helped my brother find like an LGBTQ running club in Boston that he can join. Like you can type in anything like feminist book club, flower club, garden club, cooking club, try something new, meet some new people, go and explore a new part of your city that you've never seen before. Have a planless Saturday where you don't make plans and you just attack the day. Take a cooking class, host a dinner party, take a cocktail making class, go window shopping. There are millions of free comedy and improv shows and concerts and dance shows and all of that kind of stuff free art everywhere art sparks joy for me it might not for you and that's okay um you can go out dancing i think dancing elicits joy and serotonin museums you can do outdoorsy stuff have a picnic go on a hike um there are millions of fall activities pumpkin picking apple picking just drink a pumpkin spice latte and watch gilmore girls have a movie marathon like the world is really your oyster. I also love Facebook because Facebook tells you what's fun that's going on in your area. There are tons of like Instagram accounts that you can also follow and meetup.com and Geneva are also great for finding community. Okay, tips for reigniting joy with yourself. Figuring out alone time. Um, I break it up into active versus passive alone time. So active alone time is alone time we chose to have when you choose to have a night in and you plan it out and so you're not feeling anxious about it but you're feeling good about it. Passive alone time is when you find yourself alone but you would rather not be. Try to start treating your passive alone time like active alone time. When you find that you're by yourself and you didn't want to be, choose to treat it like it is a moment, that it is special. And eventually, you know, conscious actions, conscious thoughts become subconscious actions and you'll end up feeling really great. Nobody really thinks it's weird if you're alone out to dinner. And if they do, you're literally never going to see them again. And they're wasting their energy and time that they could be dedicating toward finding joy on thinking about how you're weird for eating alone. And that's weird. Like, just... Try to find out what's fun for you to do on your own. Plan your alone time like you plan a date night. I always do that. Whenever I like am going to be by myself, I like get my face masks. I order Shake Shack. I know that I'm going to go on a rabbit hole that I don't go on on YouTube without with anybody else there. Like feel good for yourself. Do that skincare, moisturize, all of the good stuff. And also just like normalize it. Like we only come into this earth with ourselves. Every other connection and relationship we make for the most part other than like blood is what we seek out. And we need to be prioritizing that that date night moment with ourselves a little more. And I think if you're looking to like get your spark back and reclaim your childlike joy, you need to ask yourself, what was fun for me as a kid? I just saw Jenna Palak talking about how she used to cheerlead in high school and she might be looking into like getting a cheerleading like um, coaching gig in Austin because she wants that childlike joy back. Like when she was a kid, it was joyful for her to cheerlead and now she wants to be a part of it still and she can be like even if you don't know what you used to like as a kid start listening to music or watching shows you did as a kid look at pictures of yourself did you love to paint you're allowed to fucking paint anyone can do anything you know like for me when I was young I I loved theater and whenever I'm struggling or I'm in a dark place I remind myself of that everlasting joy and love and I go back there also, I loved to play the piano when I was young. I don't play the piano anymore, but I can. And sometimes when I'm at home and I'm looking for a way to, you know, kind of alter my idea of fun or choose or reclaim my joy or get my spark back, I'll play the piano. I'll sing. I don't sing anymore, but I used to. Go back to what it was like to be, you know, just openly and authentically joyful as a kid. Read a book that, read your favorite book that you used to read when you were a kid or your favorite book that you've ever read. Reread it. Rewatch your favorite television show. All of those things are sort of going to spark that past version of yourself that was someone that felt really, really happy. And remember that it's like never too late to do this. Like, I don't care if you're 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Like, you can always change your mind. You can always change your idea of fun and you can always rediscover your joy, reclaim your happiness, and find your spark again. Something that I also do is I try to spark and find joy in my everyday routine. So that way my day-to-day -day doesn't have to be stagnant. So, you know, I'll take a new route to go somewhere that I go every single day to see if I see something different. I do buy your coffee Fridays. I do Chipotle Sundays. And it doesn't have to be that for you. Maybe it's like Sushi Monday. I don't know what it is for you. It doesn't even matter what it is. What matters is this is your way of choosing and sparking joy for yourself in your daily routine so it becomes a little bit less monotonous. 
And I'm going to leave you guys with a journal prompt that I think could really kickstart this for you. And I want you to know that I'm in an ever-changing day-to-day landscape where my idea of joy and how I reclaim it and finding my spark and all of that changes like fucking clockwork. But it's good that it does. And I lean into that discomfort. But I do this journal entry like once a season. And I basically journal out the ideal version of my life. If I could have anything I wanted right now, what would it be? And I'm not obviously like we all want to be a millionaire. I think for the most part, like everybody would take a million dollars. Everybody would win the lottery. Try to be a little realistic. Like what would your job look like in the ideal version of your life? What would the partner that you have, if you have one, look like? Would you have a dog? Would you be exercising more would you be going out more what would you be doing that looked different in the ideal version of your life write it all out don't hold back and then on the next page I want you to write out what you would have to change starting now to start working toward that ideal version it's so refreshing and it makes you just like cry when you realize that it's actually not as hard as you thought it was to get to that ideal version it might seem far off but you're going to put the plans in place and just doing that is going to help you to reclaim your spark, refine your joy, reclaim your happiness and maybe change your idea of fun a little bit. Okay, so that's the episode. I'm out of breath. I have a crazy rest of the day. I'm going to TikTok to do some social media consulting and then I'm going to the luckiest girl in the world. I feel like the luckiest girl in the world. Premiere the Mila Kunis new movie. I'm wearing this gorgeous dress. I can't wait for you guys to see it. Um, by the time you're listening to this, you'll have seen it because it's Thursday and it was a crazy week and I got confused and I'm also going on TV tomorrow morning for my first time ever, which is crazy. And now I'm rambling. I'm going to go eat lunch. I love you guys so much, so much. Thank you for always accepting me the way I am, for meeting me halfway, for meeting me where I'm at. Thank you for being gentle with me, for being patient with me. I hope I'm all of those things for you. I love you. I'm sending you the biggest hug. If you have a bad moment this weekend, just take a deep breath and remember that if I was standing right with you, I would tell you you're doing a great job and I'm proud of you. Okay. I love you guys. Bye.